This program contains adult content. Is there a God? A big atheist. Really? What, am I an idiot? Come on. That yes, it would be nice if you could throw your sins and your responsibilities on someone else. But it's not true. It looks like far-left lunacy. I don't believe that it's true that religion is moral or ethical. You don't need to follow anybody! It's not human intelligence! If someone doesn't value logical consistency, what logical argument are you going to give them that will demonstrate that they should? I finally had the conversation with my dad last night, and I was thinking about the phone call I had with him uh, earlier today. It went pretty much the way I figured it would. Uh, started with him initially denying that he had ever said or done anything wrong. Shifted to him saying he felt ashamed for the things that he had said after I reminded him about a lot of things that he said. Then, of course, it moved into what aboutism and my critiques of the LDS church and, you know, how are they any different than, you know, hurtful things that he may have said about the LGBTQ community. Then, of course, it ended with him trying to play the victim in all of this because I never visit him. In 20 years, I haven't gone to just visit my dad. During the call... He said that he doesn't agree with the LDS Church's view of the LGBTQ community, but doesn't know what he can do to change things. I pressed him on whether he tithes to the church, and he said that he does. I said the very least he could do would be to speak out whenever he heard anybody say similar things to, as, you know, similar to the things that he has said in the past, and that not giving his money to a bigoted organization would be a great start. I saw a friend's post on Facebook that said that they had had an argument with a teenager who was telling them that taxation is theft. It's the classic libertarian mm -hmm. argument that we hear all of the time. I've heard it more times than I'd ever be able to count. But it got me thinking about the types of argumentation offered in defense of that position. They usually boil down to the notion that the person making the claim has no say where their money goes. That they're forced to do it. And following my own mental rabbit trail, I started thinking about the, an the analog of feeling the same way about tithing, because I initially thought when my father had affirmed that he does pay his tithing, and then I saw this post about, you know, taxation is theft, and I, I thought, well, sure, you know, the government does a lot of terrible things with my money, but they also do a lot of good things. That was one of my father's arguments. Well, the church does a lot of really good things. I don't have any control over my, where my tax dollars are sent. And then I thought about how that can be tied to religion and tithing. Many, if not most, religious sects have some form of compulsory tithing in order to stay within the good graces of the church leadership and or the God that they worship. And this leads a lot of people to view, to view paying taxes along the same vein. They often say things like, well, if you don't pay your taxes, armed thugs will come to your house, arrest you, and put you in prison. Of course, the difference here is that while congregations of regular run-of-the-mill day-to-day adherents of religious sects, where tithing is compulsory, are absolutely correct in their belief that they have no say where their tithing is spent. But thinking the same thing about paying taxes is absolute horseshit. You do have a say in where your tax dollars are spent, and it's voiced through exercising your right as a citizen by voting for the person who has the best chance at winning the election and who most closely reflects your own thoughts and desires. Are the candidates you have to choose from perfect? No, fuck no. And you should adjust your expectations accordingly. They shouldn't be there to fucking entertain you. That's how we end up with dipshits, like the Orange Menace who are in the White House right now. I've never voted for somebody who I thought was perfect. 
but the people I vote for have always been the best option available when looking to enact the changes I want to see in the world. My name is Dan Ellis, and you're listening to The Godless Revolution. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 272. Today is Thursday, November 7th. How the fuck are you guys doing? Uh, good. Yeah? I feel like I haven't seen you guys since 1978. Since Pretty 1978? Close. Pretty close. Why would you say since 1978? It's been Just three weeks. Long time. A month. Yeah. It's been, it's been a moment. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, fuck. You guys haven't seen each other yeah. for yeah. quite a while because you Cause... you were just missing each other on on shows and mm-hmm. stuff. Well, because he went, he missed the one for the wedding. Uh huh. Then yeah. you were on vacation before that. Yeah. And then when he got back from all that, I was busy as fuck. I burped, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, "Fuck!" Like, I won't even get down to su- to Murray until like seven almost mm-hmm. i'm like fuck it i'm gonna head home mm-hmm. and i'm just gonna do the fucking podcast from home mm-hmm. so didn't see you that night then we didn't do a show last week true true so yeah it's been a minute mm-hmm. yeah yeah i just put out the housekeeping episode of me going over oh, user yeah. feedback and stuff so yeah it, it has been quite a while since yeah. you guys have seen each other and since we've all been in the same room so what is new with you, Mr. Duffy? I got fucking pulled over on the way down here today. Oh, why? Because I was following too close to the car in front of me. Were you being reckless? No, I was trying In your to... hot rod machine? I was, I was trying to get around the car that was doing five under the speed limit in the left lane. <laughs> I fucking... That drives me uh. crazy, man. People who just camp in the passing lane. So, like, everyone was doing 65 and a 70, so I was trying to get around that car, and I got a little close to the car... In that lane to try to get back over in the other lane to at least hit the speed limit. And <laughs> as soon as I pulled over in the other lane and got behind that car, I'm like, right, like I was just thinking about hitting my blinker to turn left into the other lane and then fucking whoop, whoop. I'm like, oh, what? That's me. Wario. Like he was on my ass. <laughs> the problem is it's getting darker when we come down here and that rear view mirror in the Corvette, I can't fucking see out it. Oh, really? Like. With the tint on the window and the way it like dims with car lights, I just can't see. I can see your car lights, but, that's but about I can't it. fucking tell what kind of car you're in. Mm. So I had no fucking clue there's a cop behind me. <laughs> and he basically said, he goes, you were following a little close to the car in the left lane. And then when he changed lanes, you got close to that car too. I'm like, yeah, cause they're all doing 65. <laughs> you should have pulled that guy over for doing 65 in, in the, the passing lane. lane. Yeah. That's he's yeah. causing a hazard that I was trying to avoid. <laughs> and you're pulling me over, sir. The gall. But he just let me off with a warning. Yeah. After he asked you if you were driving your own car. Yeah, yeah he asked me. Well, for he, some reason. He just comes up to the car and goes, is this your car? I'm like, yeah. Do you know why I pulled you over? Nope. I don't read mine, sir. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you, you want me to, you want to play 20 questions? Is that why you pulled me over? Or like, do you have <laughs> the point to this whole exercise? I know. I know you didn't pull me over for speeding because everyone's driving slow. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else new? Uh, trying to... I've been I've been getting more creative with the wood turning stuff. Yeah. Been making some neat things. Some fancy things. And I got like I think I'm up to eighteen pen orders. Yeah. For Christmas. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Does it yeah. take very long to make a pen? About forty five minutes to an hour, depending on what kind of pen I'm making. Yeah. So you should be able to hit that pretty easy. Yeah. I mean that'll just be two days. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing nothing but making pens I'm during the doing day. Doing nothing but standing in the garage. Have you have you got it all insulated and warm out there yeah, now the, that well, we're heading like, into the colder months? The last few days it's been so fucking nice. I just opened yeah. the garage door up when I'm in there to kind of like it's get been some beautiful more air. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but the few mornings I it is insulated now. But uh, last week, like there's a couple mornings I got up early and just went in there and started working on something. And I could see my breath, but I'm like, but I'm happy. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just working. I'm like, wait, it's cold in here. My fingers are numb. Oh, well. Yeah. That's why I I got that one like a few weeks ago, caught in the lathe almost. Ooh. I'll like right in the webbing of the finger, like I'll reach my two fingers in there like a doctor would <laughs> to <laughs> check the inside of a cup to make sure everything's even. Like, turn your head and cough? Yeah. Like, I'll usually, I'll turn the lathe off, and I'll usually pull my rest away, uh-huh. and I'll check it, and I'll put the rest back. This time, I turned the lathe off and didn't pull the rest back, and I just put my fingers in there to check to see if I was, if I had an even cut all the way through, like, feeling for ridges in there. Uh-huh. In my finger, I pushed too hard, and it went with the spin. Oh, shit. And my, right up against the yeah, rest? Yeah, just stopped it. Oh. <laughs> mm. So, if it had been running... You'd have lost I, a whole lot of skin, if not, not the finger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, so I got lucky there. That'll learn you. I, I learned good, because I haven't <laughs> done anything like that since. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things, right, where you where you work with a tool for long enough, you get way too comfortable com- around yeah. it and yeah. start doing things you ought not do. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty much. Been there, done that, have a few scars to prove <laughs> it. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think all my days off are spent making stuff on the lathe and trying to get the other studio project up and running. Nice. So very cool. You need to tell us more about that someday. Okay. You can you can come on the show as a guest. <laughs> <laughs> tell us all about your side hustle. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and you, sir? Um, not a whole lot. I took uh, Rhett out trick-or-treating last week and that was a lot of fun yeah in his little batman outfit yep his little batman outfit or his man 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 yeah as he calls it <laughs> um and before people criticize me for the superhero thing after all of my criticism of superheroes <laughs> just remember that i've always maintained that superheroes are for children oh that's true yes touche so you were you were perfectly consistent yeah. in your views there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. He did learn to knock on doors. Um, he didn't quite learn how to say trick or treat. Uh, he's not two yet, so he's pretty young. Um, but he's learning tons of new words, and he's running around the house and being generally happy. So. We're happy. Yay. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that, man. And I've said it several times, man. He is a cute little kid, man. Yeah, thanks. Super cute. That's Dan- all Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> and there's none of my genetic material there at all. It's, it's all Danielle. Um, what? A- anything else? No, that's that's about it. Yeah. So I mentioned it at the top of my little intro there that I finally had the phone call, the phone call with my dad, uh, discussing why he was not in, why he and my grandmother were not invited to Gray's birthday party. And it went, like I said, about as well as I expected. Um, we may talk about it on future episodes. 
Maybe not. I'm not sure. Uh, there are some other discussions that I need to have with other people so that I can have a more rounded view of things and let everybody else know what's going on so that, so that they know. I mean, my, my mother knows that I had a long discussion with my father, but I haven't had a phone conversation with her to go over everything. Uh, I don't yet know that gray knows that I have spoken with him. I'm positive that my grandmother knows <laughs> that I spoke with him. It's like they have this little tag team thing, right? We've talked about it before where it's like they yeah. act like little kids, like, oh, who's going to call him? Who's going to say anything? So the, the yesterday when I had the conversation with my father, it was because he had called me and left a message and Tracy was cooking dinner. I was just watching news programs um, and chatting with her, you know, complaining about the things <laughs> that I was seeing on television when I saw that he is that he was calling and I was like, ah, I'm not going to fucking answer that. And I declined it and let it go to voicemail. And I have this thing where my if anybody leaves a voicemail, it sends me the text of the, yeah. of the message that they left. And after seeing the message that he left, I was like, fuck, I have to call him. I've got to call him because he is saying that he thinks something's wrong, but he doesn't know what or why. And that we should talk about whatever to see if we can work through it. And I thought, well, that's, that's more of a human being than I've heard him be for a while. Like, that he wanted to actually have a discussion about yeah. something to work out an issue. So told Tracy what the message was and that I was going to go call him. And I came down here in the studio and gave him a, ch gave him a call and it went not super well. <laughs> I think, I think I had a lot of pent up aggression over the last few decades of, you know, since, since my parents divorce and then, him basically abandoning us and, you know, all of the mental and physical abuse that happened before that. And then the abandonment and then he comes back and then he's just kind of been a shitty person. And I let him know that and how I felt about a lot of other things that he has said and done throughout my lifetime and the lifetime of my children that I'm not super jazzed about. <laughs> and I did not say it as nicely as me not being super jazzed about it so it was rough i i i yelled a lot i cursed a lot i cried probably more than i should have but it was just i i cried a couple times during the call and mainly i mean it was just nerves the first time was just i was so fucking rough. angry i'm surprised tracy didn't hear me yelling you know, from, from one end of the house to the other and in the basement that she didn't hear me yelling because I was very loud and I'm still trying to decide if I could have or should have been more kind to him on the phone. But in the face of just lie after lie after lie and then shifting the blame and trying to play the victim and I just hit a breaking point. Yeah. <laughs> It was ah, enough. Fuck it, man. How old is he? It, be able to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's in his sixties. It's something that he should be able to handle now. He's a big fucking boy, but I, there, there've been very few instances or times in my life that I've 
ever kind of torn into my dad or told him exactly what was on my mind. I think maybe this was, I know for sure it's been twice, but I think this may have only been the second time, hmm. second or third, maybe there, there I've, I've traded little barbs with him here and there, but this was, and this was like the first clearing Hello. of the air of, you know, this is, this is 40 years of me dealing with bullshit from you. And I'm going to let you know what I think about it <laughs> kind of thing. So I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it more on another episode, but for this episode, we had the privilege of talking to Brandy Hamrick on the phone for, for a while. Uh, listeners of the show, you know, if this is your first episode of the show that you're hearing, you would be unaware that Brandy is a longtime listener of the show and Patre uh, Patreon patron who is just an awesome person. I mean, she's just, she's just fun to talk to and be around and she's, she's funny. She's intelligent. She's charismatic. She's very caring about mm -hmm. other people. She's compassionate. She's kind. And she's also very shy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember so, when you, when you met up with them at the atheist, uh, American atheist convention, uh -huh. and you got back saying they were so wonderful. Oh yeah. Like yeah, she's nothing just, but awesome stuff to say about it. Yeah. Them. She and Sam both are just super, super nice, very friendly people. And so I was very excited to get her on the show. Um, but, Recently, she was uh, diagnosed with cancer and has, for lack of a better term, been going through hell with all of that. And so I wanted to get her on the phone and, and talk about that. We've talked about the healthcare industry here in the United States and how terrible it is. And she has been having to deal with a lot of the fuckery that goes yeah. on. So wanted to make sure that we were able to talk to her. And it was a fantastic interview. Mm -hmm. she's, a, she's a lot of fun. And there were some heart-wrenching parts, and uh, I teared up a little bit, which I haven't done for years and years, so uh, definitely listen. Yeah, yeah, I think everybody will enjoy our interview with Brandy, so without any further ado, we will listen to that on the other side of this break, which is a little bit more ado. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Yvette Dontremont, a.k.a. The Cybabe, and you're listening to Godless Revolution. You can find me at cybabe.com, at my Twitter account, at the Cybabe, and if you've hunt really hard, you can find me at Pornhub. I dare you. The offer of certainty, the offer of complete security, the offer of an impermeable faith that can't give way, is an offer of something not worth having. I want to live my life taking the risk all the time that I don't know anything like enough yet, that I haven't understood enough, that I can't know enough, that I'm always hungrily operating on the, on the margins of, of a potentially great harvest of future knowledge and wisdom. I wouldn't have it any other way. Rejoining the Godless Revolution podcast now. And joining us by phone is Brandy Hamrick. How are you tonight, Brandy? I'm great. How are you? Oh, doing pretty good. Pretty good. Still, still a, a little frazzled from the call with my dad last night, but that's, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, 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 it'll linger for a bit, I'm sure. Uh, so 
we wanted to have you on the show because you've been a big fan and supporter of the show for a very long time, and we're recently given a very unfortunate diagnosis. Before we get into the details of that, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where Where do you live? Um, I live in Charleston, West Virginia. I uh, was born and raised in the woods in West Virginia, in the literal middle of nowhere. Um, in a holler? In a holler. <laughs> in a holler. I don't know what um, that means. You don't know what a holler is? No. Um, like a dirt road in oh. the mountains. Okay, so like really rural. Yeah, yeah. I, I like our my family has a farm. My grandfather has a, a pretty large farm, and um, it's like right off the main highway. But when you're on the farm, it feels like you're a million miles from everything. Like you can't see or hear the highway, or you know, there's. When I was a kid, like we used to play in the road and like make mud. Mon- my brother made me a mud monster when I was like two years old in a <laughs> mud hole in the middle of the. It's not. It wasn't a street. It was just a road. Like we could play in the road for hours because there was no traffic. Wow. Um. So, um, I just have one older brother, and uh, my dad was an independent, fundamental King James only by God Baptist preacher for thirty years. Ooh. And uh, so, that's uh, that's the kind of shit I grew up in. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm, you're in the south. I'm guessing this was Southern Baptist. No, it's Independent Baptist. Oh, we, sorry. We didn't, um, you know, didn't have a, a an air quotes mother church. So okay. Um, think Westboro Baptist Church, but not quite as hateful. Oh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> like um all of the you know street preaching and um talk of eternal hellfire like, and damnation oh hell hellfire and damnation um you know p- uh put put all the queers on an island and and you know let's kill them all and let god sort them out like that sort of stuff mm, and the stuff that i grew up in and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's harsh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Any <laughs> well, rattlesnakes? Uh, what is it? Any rattlesnakes? Uh, that's Pentecostal. No, no is that Pentecostal? No snakes, no, no speaking in tongues, oh, no, okay. no, uh, anointing with oil or anything like that. Those people were crazy, Ryan. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just, just those ones were crazy. Mm-hmm. Clearly, clearly those people don't know what they're talking about. We had the one and only true religion. Mm. <laughs> so you grew up in this religion with your father being a preacher. Is he still a preacher? No. Um, he, uh, my mom died about nine and a half years ago. Uh, is that right? She died in 2011, eight and a half years ago. Um, and, uh, there was, he was pastoring, uh, at the time and it's a, a long story that's not worth getting into, but uh, there there were people who were upset with us because um, there were members of the LGBT community at the funeral with me. Oh. Um, there were people who were mad because of the choice of music that we played at my mom's funeral. Um, there there was just a lot of you know kind of kicking while he's down stuff that that went down shortly after. Um, she passed away. 
And he just, he said, you know what, I'm just, I'm done. I I just can't do it anymore. So, um, you know, for, uh, for the, for the good of the church and whatever, you know, he stepped aside and let someone else, uh, kind of take the reins. And, um, to, to my knowledge, my dad and I are super close. Um, and to my knowledge, I don't think he's been to a church service in about five years now. Okay. Hmm. Oh, wow. So he still considers himself a believer, you know, still he, he tries really hard to continue to say that he's a conservative and I laugh at him every time because he's definitely not. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's just having a hard time letting go of that label. Um, but, you know, I, I grew up in, in a house where, you know, there was a, uh, in his study, there was a picture of George W. Bush, and, uh, you know, right beside like all the Bibles and Peter Ruckman commentaries and shit, you know, there was, George Bush and the American flag and, and Jesus. all that kind of stuff. So yeah. And Jesus. So, <laughs> <laughs> so how, how, how long were you a believer? I mean, did you, when, when did you stop believing or, or how did that transition take place? I, um, I was in church from the time I was six days old. Um, went, went to church the first time when I was six days old. Um, my dad started pastoring when I was, um, I think five or six, he took his first church and it was, uh, you know, just an old country church, like good people, you know, just kind hearted people who were just, you know, trying to do the, the right thing and, you know, take care of their neighbors and, and whatever. And, you know, if, if people, you know, I, I, their religion is kind of, baked in the cake here, you know, in the culture, um, Christianity, obviously, specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just good hearted country people. And it, it wasn't until he took his next church when I was eight, and that was the Independent Baptist Church. And that's when things got weird. Um, <laughs> that's whenever we uh, we got hooked up with a lot of people who, you know, the women weren't allowed to wear pants. and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whenever, uh, like when there was a church dinner or stuff like that, like the, the men got to go through the line first, uh, like, you know, to, I don't know, prove their seniority, you know, make sure that the women and children knew that they were the boss. <laughs> um, there's a definite pecking order here, yeah. ladies. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, you know, my, like my dad would never, uh, like counsel with a, a a woman or a couple like without my mom on the phone or in the room or whatever. Um, well, Mike Pence does that we too. Were, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, he never. My dad did not ever call my mom mother though. Just for the record. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but uh, we, you know, we got we were always sort of the black sheep. My family were the the black sheep of the independent Baptist. Like we, we, my mom and I were allowed to wear pants and we went to the movies and stuff like that, but we had to keep it on the down low. Like we weren't allowed to tell anybody. You're way too worldly. Right. We, we listened to contemporary Christian music, but nobody knew. Um, But then, you know, we'd, we'd go to like youth camp or something like that. And I'd have to like burn all my music and my Cosmo magazines and, (sighs) you know, your dad was, that, you know, 
he was the pastor, but you guys were the black sheep? Uh, of like there were there were several churches, like independent Baptist churches in in the area that all kind of congregated together and and my family was like the most liberal of all of of all of those people. Hmm. Um, so there were I think at, at one time there were maybe nine, eight or nine churches that were uh, all kind of of the same stripe. And uh, and we we were sort of the the outcast um, uh, of that group. Uh, you know, I, I, whenever I got married the first time, I wasn't I wasn't good enough. Um, my my uh, fiance's dad, uh, who I think right now is in jail, hmm. um, <laughs> uh, didn't approve of our relationship because I wore pants and I I didn't like he wanted me to he wanted uh, my fiance to pick a girl from. A girl's home, like oh. you know, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, well, it sounds you know, like this guy's making been, the right decisions was, like, all the time. Being severely indoctrinated, um, and you know, to, he he said, "Is she able to cook, clean, and have babies?" I'm like, "Dude, I'm oh. 15. Uh, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um, I'm capable of doing all three, but that's gross." <laughs> you were how old again? I, I was 17 when I got married, but I was 15 whenever we started dating. Oh, wow. Um, courting, as they called it. <laughs> <laughs> we we weren't allowed to. We didn't date. Bab, independent Baptists don't date. They court. Mm. They come calling on you, ask for your father's hand in marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you're not allowed to be alone. You're not allowed to be in a car alone and all that kind of that don't stuff, because your your virginity is is the most important yeah. thing to Jesus. Well, that as a woman, that's all you can hold claim to, and once that's gone, it's it. You're just a chewed piece of bubble gum, right? <laughs> uh, so, so you said that you had started attending church basically when you were six days old. Uh, at what age did you start having doubts or start expressing doubts? Oh, uh, I think. I've I've always been a thinker and a and a kind of a rebel and I can't um I can't do something just because somebody says that's the way it's supposed to be. You need um, a reason why, yeah. Right. I I remember very distinctly when I was in the 6th grade I had the the most awful time in math class because my teacher couldn't tell me why I needed to move the decimal point when I was dividing decimals <laughs> because that's and, the way I was taught <laughs> and and she said you know my parents kept having to go to school and like we don't know you know we don't know how to get this through to her and the teacher was like I don't know what to tell you you just have to do it and I was like that's not good enough you know I have to know why and so I've I've always been a little bit that bitch like I've always been a little bit obstinate and and uh you know, kind of a seeker my whole life. But, um, when, when my mom died, I think that really kind of flipped the switch for me because, you know, there were allegedly hundreds of people all over the country praying for her. And, um, you know, I, I remember so vividly the, the day that she died, 
and, um, you know, staring out the window of the hospital and just thinking like, how, how many people does it take to get your attention? You know, if you're real, if you're there, how, how many hundreds of people does it take to get your attention? Because I need my mom. And, um, and she died anyway, you know? And, uh, so that kind of set me on a path where, um, uh, I, I started kind of leaning toward a, a more progressive Christianity and reading, you know, books by, you know, Jay Baker, um, and Nadia Bowles Weber and people like that. And, um, found a, a pretty decent online community of, of progressive Christians. And then I saw a lot of the same issues in progressive Christianity that I saw in fundamentalism just to, you know, they just had different names for the same problem. And um, I uh, I was homeschooled through high school, mm. so I didn't, um, I felt like I, I was missing a lot of uh, science and history education. So I felt like I had a lot of catching up to do. Uh, so I started doing a lot of reading on my own and, um, read, uh, you'll have to bear with me because I have, uh, chemo brain and sometimes I just can't think of, <laughs> I just can't think of things. <laughs> um, don't worry. My brain is always like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the smoke inhalation. Can, can um, you imagine Ryan, Ryan on chemo? Oh boy. <laughs> the, uh, the, oh God, his name is Dan and he's the, the, the president founder of the freedom from religion foundation. Oh, Dan Barker. Barker. Yeah. Yes. God, I couldn't think of his last name for anything. Um, I read, I read his book and, um, you know, his, his deconversion story and, um, you know, started reading. I didn't understand anything about evolution because it was never taught to me. It was always off limits. And, uh, so I started reading, you know, so, uh, you know, real science and it, I just became a sponge for, for information. And, uh, you know, when it was all said and done, it was just kind of like I wasn't comfortable using the word atheist. Um, so I kind of slipped into, you know, calling myself a humanist. And, uh, you know, as as time progressed, it, it became important for me to to be able to say, uh, especially where we live and, and, you know, in the communities and the circles that that uh, we're surrounded by to to be able to look people in the face and say, I'm an atheist. I, you know, I don't believe in, in the God that you worship and, um, and that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm still the person that, that you knew, you know, um, you know, I'm still your neighbor. I'm still your friend. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not the boogeyman. I don't eat babies for breakfast, you know, wow. <laughs> um, just for lunch. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> Those are an after school snack. <laughs> so, um, I've, I've, it took a while for for me to be able to come to be comfortable like telling my father um and uh, you know he and I've had some really good conversations um you know he he still you know it, it calls himself a believer 
um, but he doesn't, uh, he understands, you know, the, the trauma and the, um, you know, the, the really real fear and, and damage that religion did to me. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I have never and will never look at my parents, um, with any sort of animosity, um, because they, you know, they were raising their kids the way that they thought was right. And they were, you know, my dad was 26. My mom was 25 whenever they got sucked into this, uh, into fundamentalism. So they were super young and still really impressionable themselves. And so to me, they were victims of a bad system as well. And, um, I, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, he, he deals with, a lot of guilt knowing how, how badly damaged emotionally that, that I was by all of it. And, um, you know, so we have a lot of conversations, you know, surrounding that. And he respects the fact that I don't believe anymore. Um, so, uh, that's awesome and, and kind of amazing, really. I mean, yeah. When, when yeah. looking at your father's past of 30 years as a Baptist preacher and, mm-hmm. And, you know, not just being a member of a congregation, but leading a congregation of people and then still being a kind enough person that he can see the harms that religion, you know, can have for, for people who are devout believers even. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, he, he, he has to, to, you know, have a a lot of weight on his shoulders because he, he knows you know, like he can look back on it now and, and see the, the damage that fundamentalism causes. And, uh, you know, to, to know that you were a, a, a big part of that for a lot of people is, uh, you know, it's, it's got to be pretty hard to come to terms with. Um, so I think there's, you know, there's gotta be a lot of room for, uh, you know, just, just to, to be, kind of gracious with yourself and, and, you know, forgive yourself and, you know, kind of when you know better, you do better sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's nice that he is seeking to learn more and, and do better both. Um, sounds like your, your previously fundamentalist father has a much better grip on how to be a decent person than, than other fathers I know about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's my my dad's a wonderful wonderful human. He's he's one of the kindest people that that I've you know I've ever known. I know that I'm biased, but uh you know uh my husband we we talk all the time and and he he says on paper I should hate your dad like <laughs> you know, there's because you know Sam grew up in a completely agnostic household. Um you know religion was never ever a part of of their lives at all mm-hmm. and um and uh, when he was in college and and shortly after he kind of became a rabid atheist and um you know like sort of pretty militant about it and so you know whenever if you if you put him on paper and put my dad on paper like they should not get along <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but they're you know they're super close and you know, they, they, they just, uh, you know, they get along really well. We just don't talk about, um, too much. (laughs) The G word. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I get that. So one of the questions as you were, as you were kind of recounting your tale there that 
I thought about while you were talking is that, you know, your story kind of sounds like the prototypical example that Christians will use as, well, you're, you, it's not that you don't believe you're just angry with God and you're, right. you know, you're mad that you're not getting your way and you just need to grow up. Have you faced much of that? Um, I, I think what, what happens in it, a lot of times what, what I've seen with fundamentalism is if, if you, if you walk away, um, they just kind of pretend like you don't exist anymore. Hmm. Um, so I don't hear from any of them very often. Um, and on the rare occasion that, that I run into someone from, from that life, um, you know, I'll, I'll maybe get a church invite or, you know, uh, I was at a bookstore and a, and a lady that, uh, you know, I, I grew up in church with, uh, mentioned that her daughter was pregnant and, uh, or she, you know, she was about to have a baby. And I said, Oh, I didn't realize that she was pregnant. And she said, well, if you'd come to church once in a while, you'd know these yeah. things. <laughs> you know what I would do? Um, I would keep coupons in my back pocket for blue jeans to hand to all the women. Right. <laughs> like you want me to come to church? Here's a coupon. Go yourself some blue jeans. <laughs> Get them skirts. Sounds like Brandy's branded. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, when I got my first tattoo, it was a, it was a big, or when I got my first visible tattoo, um, it, it was a, it was a big deal. Um, you know, they, they were pretty uptight about that, uh, because I was playing the piano at church and stuff like that at the time. And, uh, and I, I dared to get a memorial tattoo for my dead mother. Oh. And, uh, that, that was, uh, just beyond the pale. You're I, just <laughs> all about causing scandal at just, church. Just went too far. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a rule breaker. <laughs> <laughs> so, so aside from the, the death of your mother, uh, was there, and, and I, I it, Jesus, it's <laughs> rare that, that I ever hear that anybody has, you know, one thing that was like, well, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was, you know, almost for everybody that I talk to who has left a religion behind, it's that there was a series of events or a snowball effect that, you know, they learned one thing that led them to learn something else that led them to learn something else. And it all just kind of accumulates and blows away any previous religious belief that you had. Was that the same mm -hmm. thing with you basically? Or yeah, was for there... sure. Like, uh, you know, as, as I progressed, you know, through, uh, you know, on my journey from from fundamentalism through progressive Christianity. And, and then um, I, I still would have considered myself a, a progressive Christian whenever I met uh, when I met Sam. And um, uh, I, I've always had a lot of anxiety about the rapture and in end, mm -hmm. end times prophecy and, and things like that. And, um, we were, uh, on a, on a date on Valentine's day. And, um, it was, uh, my, my mom got sick on Valentine's day. So I, I oh. have like a lot of kind of fucked up feelings surrounding, you know, what, whatever, you know, Valentine's day, Valentine's day, whatever. But uh, anyway, it's just memorable because that's, you know, just when it happened to be. But we were talking about uh, about the book of Revelation. And 
you know, he, he started giving me like historical context, um, you know, about, you know, apocalypse, apocalyptical writing and, um, you know, how, how they, you know, it was never meant to be prophetical at all. And, um, I was like, oh my God, that's kind of mind blowing because, you know, they don't want you to know that. Yeah. Because, well, you know, they, they, uh, they write stories of, of, uh, the United States selling airplanes to Israel into the book of Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> so they certainly don't want you to know that, uh, you know, it, it has nothing to do with, uh, you know, and anything to do with the, the way that they tell the story. Yeah. So, um, he, Sam really helped me, uh, get, get over my, my end times, uh, fears. Like I, it was, it was so bad. Like, uh, do you remember the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie end of days? Mm-hmm. I was in the, in the theater when the preview for that movie came on. And I covered my, I like I shut my eyes and plugged my ears <laughs> because I was so terrified. Oh no! And um, like I used to be afraid of clouds, um, certain cloud formations. If the sun would shine through the clouds a certain way, I would get super nervous because I thought that the it, like, you know that the now. rapture was about to take place. <laughs> Wow. Um, and, you know, that all that it sounds really silly and, um, you, you know, it's embarrassing to say out loud, but, you know, it's it, it was so ingrained in us, you know, to always be ready. And I never felt like I was, um, you know, I would stay awake for hours at night as a kid and cry and pray for God to save me, um, you know, to not leave me behind. And, you know, I was a nervous wreck in a car because, you know, if the rapture takes place, there are going to be all these cars all over the highway with no drivers. And there are going to be airplanes falling out of the sky because the pilots are Christians and, and you know, the planes are just going to fall out of the sky. And, you know, shit like that was in my brain 24-7. And, um, you know, the, the anxiety and, and, and trauma that that instills in a kid lasts for you know it's 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 hard it's rough a really long time i'm sure that's yeah that's those are some pretty traumatic things to have to think about when you're a young kid and and being told by adults who are supposed to be in the know and your protectors and are are looking out for you telling you that yeah absolutely this shit is gonna happen that's that's gotta be a really traumatizing event for a lot of kids so that was that 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 was kind of the last thing you held on to as far as your religious beliefs. Say it again. So was, so was that kind of like the last thing you were holding on to for, as far as believing in religion? It, it was the, like the, the thing that bothered me for the longest. It, I, I, I wanted to stop believing in the rapture. I wanted to not be afraid of, of the end of days, but I couldn't, stop it. Like I couldn't make it stop. Um, and, you know, just kind of learning about the Bible from a more historical standpoint and how it was actually put together and, um, you know, the, the political ramifications and, and, you know, 
how, you know, how it was all pieced together and for what purposes um, helped me realize, you know, that uh, it's always kind of been about manipulating people. Yeah. And uh, I, I didn't want to be manipulated anymore. Hi, this is Christine Stenquist with Truce, together for responsible use in cannabis education. If you're interested in medical cannabis in Utah, follow us on our social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Truce Utah. If you're interested in donating to our awesome nonprofit, go to truceutah.org. And thank you so much for listening to the Godless Revolution podcast. Suppose it's all true mm. and you walk up to the pearly gates and you are confronted by God. What will Stephen Fry say to him, her, or it? I will basically, what's known as the Odyssey, I think, I, I'll say bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I'd say. Thank you to everybody who has rated the show on iTunes and Stitcher and are following us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And to all our Patreon patrons, you make the show possible. So you decided to walk away from religion. How long has it been now? You said about six, like, or? yeah, about six years. Um, right? yeah, I, um, because it was kind of a, like a slow roll. Um, I, I would, I haven't been to church, um, in about eight years, seven, eight years, something like that. Um, since I've been to a, an actual church service, um, but I've only like openly called myself a non-believer, a secular human, humanist or an atheist for about three and a half years or so. Ooh, so you were listening to so, our show without even calling yourself an atheist. I had not called myself an atheist whenever I started listening to the show. That's correct. Um, I was I was a secular humanist, um, and I was fine with that label. And uh, it I, I went back today and looked because I wanted to know how long I'd been listening to the show, and I couldn't remember exactly what it was that that uh, how I found you guys. And uh, it it was super super funny to me because I went back and looked because I emailed the show. And it was when Psy uh, Babe was on. Oh, yeah, okay. when we had a vet on the show. Yeah. Mm. And uh, and you guys were talking shit about West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And uh, it, it was hilarious to me. I went back today and listened to the to the little the the bit that uh, that calls me to write into the show, and uh, <laughs> uh, she said something about you know they you know why why do people you know, can in, in these in areas like West Virginia, you know, continue to vote against their best interests and all of these things. And, you know, it, it's, you know, because they're stupid, but also because <laughs> they're hurting. And uh, and then she said, you know, we've you know, we've alienated, you know, your West Virginia listeners. And Dan, you said, ah, fuck them. And I laughed <laughs> so hard. 
<laughs> ah, fuck like, them. They yeah, probably won't them. understand what we're talking about anyway. <laughs> it's fun. Ah, fuck them. Um, but uh, there, there, there were a, there were a lot of insights in that conversation, and um, so it, uh, it it made me happy to go back and and see what it was that that brought me to to the podcast, and uh, and it was in April of 2017. So it's been a while. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So you started listening to the show and everything, and uh, I actually got to meet you in person last year, yeah. or actually earlier this year. Was it this, this year? year? Yeah, it was back in April. Was it, I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, time, time seems to be flying past it's, me at a faster yeah, and faster time clip is, every time year. Time is a weird thing. Like when I, you know, whenever all I, my life revolves around cancer now, so all I do is go to the doctor and, and sleep. And, um, but yeah, but it was, it was at this past year's, uh, American Atheist Convention after, after the convention. Right, right. In Cincinnati. Right, right. So, and, and it's because you guys were out and about doing some record store stuff. Well, and you guys, so, so what do you and Sam do, uh, for, for, for work? Uh, well, he, he owns a record store here in Charleston. And, um, my, I, I work, uh, with my family. My family owns a business and uh, I take care of all of the, uh, HR financial bullshit, um, <laughs> for, <laughs> for my family company, uh, for, for which I'm eternally grateful right now because, um, you know, I'm, I'm not able to work at the moment. My, my office is about 65 miles away from here. Oh, wow. And, um, I haven't driven, uh, in months. And, um, but, uh, my family, you know, brings me my laptop on the weekend so I can catch up on, on work. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, grateful that, uh, that the business is, is there. And, you know, if, if I had to worry about, you know, paid time off or like, you know, trying to get sick leave or, you know, I would have already lost my job and, and mm-hmm. so would he, um, you know, but he's, he's been able to be home with me and, um, it's, it's been, it's been really important for us to be able to be together. Um, you know, especially during the beginning of, of this, you know, nightmare that, that we've been facing since the first of August. So, so, so take us back to the beginning because when I met you in, uh, in April, um, you, you, you hadn't yet gotten this diagnosis. I think that you may have been having some health issues or problems that you were concerned about. I know that you, you know, when we were trying to hook up to, to go to dinner or have drinks or whatever, um, or just to meet in, in person there, there were some certain dietary restrictions that you had and you, you intimated that you were having some digestive problems or whatnot. Mm -hmm. How, so how did this all how did how did this all come about that you learned about uh, the diagnosis you were ultimately given? Well, I had you know I'd had some you know in back in starting in the spring you know just some some digestive stuff happening and um, you know went to my doctor and uh, I I was uh, on on a pretty restrictive diet uh, on on purpose and you know was losing weight and, and doing really well and. Um, you know, feeling good. And then, you know, this stuff started happening and did a bunch of blood work and, and, you know, ran some tests and everything came back normal. And, and then it sort of resolved itself. I was like, okay, well, I'm not sure what that was, but, you know, maybe it's related to the protein shakes and, 
you know, whatever. So maybe I need to back off that, you know, make some adjustments to, to my diet mm. and, uh, you know, everything will be okay. And so I had a couple of rounds of that in, in the spring and early summer. And then, um, on July 25th, I, I ended up going to the ER and, uh, I was just in incredible pain and they, uh, they did a CAT scan. And they said that there was a, a lesion on my colon and they, that that's all they would really say. And the, the surgeon came in and he said, you know, you're, you're not sick enough to be in the hospital, but you, you know, we definitely need to get a look at this. So we're going to need to do a colonoscopy, but we'll schedule it for next week. Um, you know, go home, take it easy and we'll see you next week. Mm. Okay. Well, that's, that's scary, but you know, were okay. you, when you, when you had that conversation with him, I mean, did your mind automatically go to cancer or were you thinking, you know, no, lesion on my no, colon? What, a, even, what does that even mean? Right. And everybody in the room got weird. <laughs> like the conversation, like you could tell they were all kind of dancing around. The air got a little thick and nobody really wanted yeah. to say what was on their mind kind of thing. Yeah. And like there was, there was one nurse who was like young and you could tell she was, you know, kind of, kind of backwards in country and didn't, you know, she, <laughs> she was like, she, she said something about, well, you, you've got a family history, right? And I said, of, 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 of what? what? And yeah. she, and she was like cancer. And I was like, um, wait, cancer? What the fuck cancer. are we talking about cancer for? What the fuck is going right, on? Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, um, so, you know, we, we went home and, uh, like, like a dumbass, you know, a couple of days later, I, I pulled up the CAT scan, uh, you know, on my patient portal and saw that there were, uh, places on my liver as well. And that it, it, the radiology report said that it was consistent with metastatic colon cancer. Jeez. And I was home alone. Sam had gone to the pharmacy and I literally ended up in a, in a, a ball in the living room floor. Um, and, uh, I like you, you know, you just can't, you can't, there's, I don't think there's a word to describe like the, the fear that, that takes over whenever you see something like that. And so we spent a week, you know, telling ourselves it's not cancer you know, your blood levels are fine. They did tumor markers. Your tumor markers are not up. If you had cancer, this number would be high and it wasn't. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, um, you know, if, if, if it had been me, I would have thought, well, clearly this is just an error here, right? Like I'm too young. I don't, I, well, I don't know if you have a family history of of colon cancer, but I would have been like, you know, it's not really something that runs in the family. I'm too young. I, you know, I feel okay. I've had some issues recently, but nothing that would say that, you know, I have some form of metastatic cancer spreading throughout my body. Right. Yeah. The week before I got sick, um, the week before I went to the hospital, I was at the gym six days. You know, I mean, I was, I was doing great. Like I'd lost 70 pounds. I was, you know, on purpose, you know, and, and on purpose. You know, that, <laughs> like the, the doctors are always like, you lost 70 pounds. I was like, yes, but I was watching every single thing that I put in my mouth <laughs> and I was going to the gym six days a week. Like it was on purpose. Like it's not the cancer. Mm. <laughs> 
the the weight was not just falling off of me. Believe me, um, <laughs> it was it was hard, you know, a hard fought battle. But yeah, I mean, everything was fine until it just wasn't. And so we spent a week, you know, convincing ourselves that everything was going to be fine. You know, I was going to get the colonoscopy and you know whatever it was, we were just going to take care of it. And uh, so the day of, uh, you know, the day before the colonoscopy, you have to do all the stuff, drink all the prep and whatever. And mm. I couldn't keep the prep down. Um, I started throwing up and uh, couldn't stop throwing up. And I, we ended up, uh, Sam was at work and I called him and I was like, you have to come home. I'm really sick. And, uh, you know, it's still, even then we were like, you know, it's just, you know, you just can't, there's like you, were you just, just can't nervous. tolerate this you know mm-hmm. it's it'll be fine um but you know five or six hours in into vomiting um you know we we ended up calling an ambulance and um went to the hospital and my potassium was super super low and uh it took 12 hours for them to get my vomiting under control jeez yeah, and I hate um, vomiting. They were like, it's you know, the worst. Huh? Oh, I was just saying, I hate vomiting. It's the worst. Like, oh, if I yeah. hear somebody vomiting, I'll probably vomit. Yeah, and and I was. I mean, you know how emergency rooms are. I don't know what it's like there, but here, emergency rooms are terrible. Oh yeah. Um, I, they literally just put me in a wheelchair and wheeled me out in the waiting room, and I was I was sitting in a wheelchair with a with a puke bag. <laughs> like crying, sobbing, begging for help because my potassium was low enough that, you know, I, I could have gone into cardiac arrest oh, um, and nobody gave a shit. Like it was terrifying. Um, but, you know, once they finally got me stabilized, they were like, you know, we we're going to go ahead and do this procedure. And I was like, oh, OK, so you're going to go ahead and do the colonoscopy. And then they were like, they took me to the to the side of the hospital where they do that. And then they were like, no, Dr. Dyer wants her in the OR. And I was like, Oh, Oh. okay. And uh, then he told me, you know, he's like, I'm very sure that what, you know, what's there is cancer. And, um, you know, I'm not sure what else we're going to see once we get in there, but, you know, we have to do this. And, you know, these are the options of, you know, how, you know, we might just get in there and just take that, you know, we might have to do this and that and something else. And, you know, you, you might end up with a, with a colostomy bag mm. and uh, here, sign this paper. <laughs> and, uh, I said, I don't want to die. And, um, he looked at me and he's, you know, I mean, you're what you want to hear a doctor say in that moment is you're not going to die. You're in my hands. I'll take care of you. Right. I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, he's the most gentle doctor I've ever encountered in my life. And he's an angel and he saved my life that night. But what he said when I said, I don't want to die. Is not, you're not going to die. He said, I don't want you to die either. And that was the scariest thing that anybody's ever said to me. Yeah, I, uh, God, <clears throat> I, I don't, I, I 
can't even imagine how I would react or what I would say to somebody in that situation either. Sorry. Oh, you're fine. You're absolutely <laughs> fine. I'm really sorry that you've had to go through this. It sucks pretty bad. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, yeah, I woke up um, in the ICU. And uh, the first thing I remember asking is, do I have a bag? <laughs> and like, that was, that was like my main concern. You know, like I was like, Oh, I'm alive. Um, you know, what, what did they have to do? Because I knew that that was like, that if, if I had a bag, that meant that the surgery was like the most invasive that it, mm-hmm. that he would have done. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they said, yes. And, um, that night and the next day were the hardest, most painful day. Oh, I'm sure you okay. had somebody in inside you with a roto rooter trying to clean stuff out. Right. And they, you know, they took part of, part of my liver and, uh, and half my colon. And, uh, I was in the hospital for a week and, uh, and then came home and, and my um, tumors are what they call poorly differentiated. So they're not. Um, they're all twins. They, right. <laughs> uh, they, from, from what I understand, and I'm, I'm not uh, a, an oncologist, I'm not a geneticist, um, but they, they have uh veered too far away from their original sourcing to be able to tell exactly where they originated. So they're Mm -hmm. making the assumption that they came from my colon, but they don't know that for sure. Um, And they've done all kinds of genetic testing and um, they've ruled out uh, a a list of cancers with like 95% certainty that it's not, you know, these types of cancer. Um, but it, you know, the tumor doesn't, they don't, uh, like react to the staining, uh, test that they do the way that colon cancer typically does. Um, so I'm on all these tumor boards where all these doctors sit around and talk about me and how to best treat me because nobody really knows. And, um, you know, when, when I don't, when I'm not actively getting chemotherapy, my, the, the cancer spreads really fast. Um, it, uh, it replicates, uh, like my tumor markers go up super quick if, if I don't have chemo in my system and that's terrifying, uh, especially whenever you get into situations like, like I was in where they needed to change the chemo and the insurance wasn't, you know, they were fucking around and not, not approving the medication because it was so expensive. And to um, me, that's the the grossest, yeah. yep. most disgusting fucking thing about all of this is yep. your doctor is the one who knows how best to care for you. And you have this middleman, penny pension dickwad in the middle who's saying, well, that seems very expensive. I mean, do we really need to spend that much on one person? Right. Exactly. Can, and they're multi-million. Can we multi-million. Just del- delay this until that maybe she'll die and we won't have to uh, spend the money? 
you know, that's, that's how I felt about it. And, um, it sucks to feel like you're just like a a number in a spreadsheet to them, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. You're not an actual person. You're just, you're something subtracting dollars away from their bottom line. Yeah. But it's, it's insane whenever like we, you know, one, one of the, I, I get, when I get an infusion, I get about five different medicines and, um, one of them is, uh, it's a, it's a chemotherapy that they've used for colon cancer since the sixties hmm. and uh, it costs $146 a dose. And then this, this targeted gene therapy that I'm getting now is $49,000 a dose. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty wild to, to, you know, see that, um, you know, greed, you know, that, that those medicines don't come from Jupiter. You know, we're not sourcing that material from, from alien life forms. Like it's, it's made in a lab on this planet. I don't know. Did you, (laughs) did you make it? It doesn't cost that much. It's not made from unicorn tears. Right. Well, that would explain where all the unicorns have gone. (laughs) Right. No, that's just it's They're trying to Yeah, it's just disgusting to me that an insurance company inserts itself into the the course of treatment that your doctor has recommended and says, "No, you know, we're we we think maybe you should do something else instead because this is just too expensive." Like expense should not even really be part of the equation in all of this, right? It's no. we're talking about the life of a human being here. It it it's, right. dollars really don't make a whole lot of fucking sense here unless you have absolutely no compassion or caring for the people you're supposed to be helping. Right. And you know, b- before the Affordable Care Act, uh, you know, insurance policies a lot of them had a 2 million dollar lifetime cap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I I would reach that cap before my first year. And, uh, you know, so, so without the Affordable Care Act, removing that $2 million lifetime care cap, um, you know, what, what happens whenever you, you run out of, you run out of money, uh, you know, so to speak with the insurance company. And they say, well, we're just not covering you anymore. We've, we've paid out all we're going to pay out. Sorry about your luck. And nobody else will cover you because you're a, cancer patient and you've got a pre-existing condition that they don't want to have to pay for now that somebody else isn't going to be paying for it it's just it's so fucking gross man yeah when you you, and then you have to you have to depend on you know hope hope that you are poor enough for to to qualify for medicaid um you know or some something like that and um you know that that's how people end up either you know losing everything they own or they just say fuck it and they die because they you know they they can't fathom taking on that kind of stress and and you know putting that kind of pressure on their family that kind of financial struggle and strain and so they just say fuck it like I'm not going to get treatment and they just die and it, it it's terrifying and being this close to the system has has been a you know I've always known that it it was fucked up but being mm-hmm. this close to it is is really really an eye opening experience. Well, I'm sure. And it, it exposes, it exposes to you, you know, of course you knew that it was fucked up, but you just didn't realize entirely how fucked it is. <laughs> right. Yikes. I mean, that's, that's the whole point of having insurance is to cover you when you're in this exact situation. Right. <laughs> that's, that's awful. I'm so sorry to hear about all of this. 
you know, I've, I've kind of followed your story as it has progressed. And, and every time I see you post something about it, I'm just gobsmacked with how fucking ridiculous our healthcare system is. Yeah, we we need more puppy yeah. photos. You broke up and I didn't hear what you said, oh, so what we needed more of. More puppy photos. Oh, we do. Ever the world needs more puppy photos. <laughs> if if it weren't if it weren't for Instagram and uh and, you know the the hot girls and the puppy videos, I don't know what I would do with myself. <laughs> <laughs> so what what is that gets me through the day? <laughs> I'll, I'll be sure to post some more puppy photos on mine then. <laughs> if so, you know any hot girls, you know that that'd be all right too. <laughs> I thought I looked pretty good when I dressed in drag a couple weeks ago. So <laughs> yeah, you did. I threw that one straight in the spank bank, man. I, I threw it in my spank bank. <laughs> <laughs> Make a deposit. <laughs> Wait, you throw? You did, Ryan? Yeah. Doesn't that sound fucked up? That's why I said it. <laughs> yeah, that's that is pretty fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like sounds like something Ryan would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been an amazing guest, Brandy. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I'm sure you're aware, and and most of our listeners are aware that we're uh, we've pledged to send all of our Patreon earnings to your GoFundMe account through the end of the year. And I received notice from Patreon yesterday or the day before. On the fifth, what was that? Two days ago. Yeah, days. two days ago, that they were sending two hundred five dollars and fifty two cents to my account for for the last month, which actually is the highest grossing month I believe we've ever had for the show. So, uh, nice. I will be forwarding that to your GoFundMe account either tonight or tomorrow, and uh, of course, then we'll do the same for November and December's earnings as well. Is there anything else that we can do to help you? You know, I, well, first of all, I, I want to, you know, make sure that I express my gratitude uh, for for the what you've done, you know, with your Patreon uh, account. It's been, uh, you know, it's it's so generous and and so kind of you. And between between that and uh, some some donations uh, from from listeners, you know, that I, I recognize their names with, you know, with whether. Whether they, you know, have have called in or, you know, are um, or been guests on the show, or yeah. right? Um, <clears throat> uh, those, excuse me, those donations. Um, it, we we've been able to uh, make sure that Sam's health insurance has has stayed current. Um, and you know, with with him not working at all, you know, I mean, if the store's not open, we're not making any money. Um, so, or he, you know, he's not making any money. Um, so to, to be able to, uh, you know, just look at those dollars and say, you know, you, the, the, the godless revolution and, and, you know, your, your fan base is, uh, is making sure that, that his health insurance stays up to date. That, that's a, a really big deal, uh, to me. It, it keeps, you know, it, it takes a, a, a worry off my mind. Um, so I want to thank you guys for that from the bottom of my heart. Um, there's, um, you know, we, we've been super, super fortunate, you know, we're, we're really grateful to have, you know, a, a really good support system here locally. We've got some really great friends here in the city and, um, you know, good family. Um, I've, I've got a friend that brings us dinner once a week. 
And um, tonight was uh, basically we had Thanksgiving. Uh, we had turkey and <laughs> stuffing and mashed potatoes and macaroni and cheese and <laughs> all that good stuff uh, for dinner this evening. But um, I uh, I had an Amazon wish list um, that uh, you know people had asked me you know what what they could do, and it's it's really really hard for me to um, to to feel um, worthy um, of any kind of um, I don't know, charity or, or, you know, any, any kind of uh, anything like that. It's hard for me to ask for help and it's hard for me to accept it, um, when it, when it's given to me. Um, so, uh, but I had several people ask about it, like, you know, an Amazon wish list or whatever. So we had done that. And, uh, in about two days, it was, you know, pretty much empty. Mm. Um, but there, you know, there are always things, um, you know, that, uh, especially, you know, now that, you know, I've got this, uh, this ostomy, you know, it, it comes with its own unique set of challenges and, you know, like things, things that, you know, I would have never, never thought about. Um, you know, I, I don't, I've never bought baby wipes. We don't have kids, but we go through a shit ton of baby wipes now. Uh, um, you know, and pa- like paper towels and poopery and you know, just, just dumb stuff that you you, know, you don't think about and that you you know you certainly can't turn in on your insurance. So, uh, but you know, we've we've been really fortunate to to be surrounded by people who have really shown up for us in in a, in a lot of really wonderful ways. And so it's uh, it's it's good to uh, to find a lot of ways to to be grateful in, in the midst of of such a nightmare. So, well, I've I've said it several times. I think you're a fantastic person, and mm-hmm. I mean you're you're just very warm and kind, and seeking to do good to seeking to do good in the world. And I'm so terribly sorry that you're having to go through all of this. And if there were something else that we could do. I I hope that you will please let us know. Um, And like I said, in the meantime, we'll continue donating to your GoFundMe campaign through the end of the year. And if you need anything, you've got my number. You can give me a call. And you are worthy of it. Yes, absolutely. What is it? You are worthy of it. Oh, thank you. It's it's hard to to remind yourself sometimes, but, uh, but I'm working on it. Um, we, um, whenever I found out that the, uh, uh, American Atheist Convention was in Phoenix, um, and not on record store day weekend, like it always is, um, <laughs> uh, I, uh, a couple of years ago, and then I'll, I'll say this really quickly and, and, and wrap this up, but, uh, uh, in 2017, I drove myself across country and uh to, to California to see Roger Waters with a girlfriend of mine. And um I I did the trip by myself, so I drove five thousand miles uh in the car alone. You came through and, Utah on that um, trip, didn't you? I I did. I fell yeah. in love with the Utah desert. And um it all I've wanted since that time is to take Sam and go back to the desert because I, I want him to see it. And when I got sick It became super important to make sure that I 
got to experience that with him sooner rather than later. And we all kind of live life like, you know, it's easy to say, well, you know, I'll, I'll do that in a couple of years or, you know, for my whatever birthday or, you know, when this credit card's paid off or whenever, you know, whatever it is. But whenever you're faced with your own mortality, it kind of brings everything into really sharp focus. And um, so then whenever I found out that the um, the convention was going to be, you know, out west, mm-hmm. and it's just a couple of weeks after my birthday, and um, so uh, that's, that's my reason to live right now because I want to be able to go to the desert. I want to be able to take Sam and go to the convention and go to the desert and experience that with him because we really never, ever know, you know, what's around the corner. And um, it's just important to you know, have keep that perspective and um, not lose sight of what's important in life because it can uh, can change really, really fast. And you never know when that's going to happen. And and I think that's a great thing to keep in mind. I will look forward to seeing you at the American Atheists Convention then in Phoenix next year. Oh, I should be finished uh, finishing up my my first six months of chemo at that point. I should be, uh, you know, done done with the first uh, you know big round. So uh, um, I, I'm hoping that I'll be healthy enough to travel, and um, that's kind of uh, that's my goal. That that's what's keeping me going right now is is being able to make that trip in the spring. So um, anyway, that's that. Well, I will hope to see you there. Uh, if people have any questions or want to contact you, I don't know if you're open to people contacting you for, for anything, if, if they have questions or whatever, about if they do and if you are, how, how may they go about doing so? Um, I, uh, I don't know if my, like, if my Facebook profile is searchable or not, but I will go and post something on, on the show's facebook so that people can find me okay um i'm uh i'm on twitter at uh girl neck door um, <laughs> next door <laughs> <laughs> i'm the girl next door <laughs> <laughs> like like a store that says that sells girl necks that sells girl necks exactly <laughs> you know i found so some it, of those mannequins are always just missing their neck now i know where they are <laughs> they're at the girl next door <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, and I will be sure that I uh, post links for that in the show notes for this episode. Um, stay in touch, man. I, I I will be keeping an eye on your Facebook and Instagram and stuff. And and like I said, if you need anything at all, don't hesitate to give me a shout. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, you know I'm grateful for your friendship and uh, for uh, you know just just for everything. You guys are awesome, and and I'm I'm really glad that uh, that we got to do this. Yeah, so am I, and we're happy to help. Thank you so, so much. I want to 
ask our listeners to send, you know, get on Patreon, Patreon and submit anything they can. Um, it's not a, you know, it's not a selfish reason for pizza and beer. Uh, so please do that. Help us help Brandy. I appreciate that a lot. You're welcome. All right. Well, we will let you go. Um, but thanks again for coming on the show, Brandy. This has been awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you guys have a good night. Thank you. You do the same. Aloha, everybody. This is Nico Gonzalez former Jehovah's Witness, and a content producer for the Conversations with God podcast. Be on the lookout for my own show, coming soon, called If I Was God. You're listening to The Godless Revolution. And I'd urge you to look at those of you who tell you, those people who tell you at your age, that you're dead till you believe as they do. What a terrible thing to be telling to children. And that you can only live... And that you can only live by accepting an absolute authority. Don't think of that as a gift. Think of it as a, think of it as a poison chalice. Push it aside, however tempting it is. Take the risk of thinking for yourself. Much more happiness, truth, beauty, and wisdom will come to you that way. Thank you. If you have questions, comments, concerns, compliments, corrections, criticisms, or concepts for content, contact the show via email at godlessrevolution at gmail.com, by text or voicemail at 330-81-REBEL, or Twitter the twatter at TGR Podcast. Thank you! Yeah, I was super glad to have Brandy on the show, man. She's just a fantastic person. I think that was a great interview. That was, that'll go down as one of my favorites for sure, yeah. I think. Mm -hmm. and we wish all the best to her. Yeah, Absolutely. We really do. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, if there's anything at all you can think of, Brandy, that, that we can do to help, don't hesitate to ask. We would we would love to help however we can. But that'll wrap things up for us this evening. Uh, before we go, I want to make sure that we thank our Patreon supporters. That would be Alan Firth. New Mania. Christy Kalbach. Gatheist. Stephen Andrews. Let them eat Kafefe. Two skeptical chappies. Vanessa. Don't be a Richard. Nico Gonzalez. Ali Olson. Utah Outcasts. Wes Aaron. Andrew Vodapetch. Jeremy Goodson. Brandy Hamrick. Yay! <laughs> Megan Kennedy. Jesse Pointer. Baba Digital. Freethinker215. And Maggie Simpson support Planned Parenthood. Freethinker215 and Ralph Wiggum support the National Abortion Federation. Uh, correction, Jesse Pointner. Point... Pointer. No, it is pointer. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. Aren't, uh, don't you say pointer every time, Ryan? I don't think, think so. so. Janet nope. Uter. <laughs> Savita Kuna. Taylor Grin. Purple Dragon. Captain Samples. And Corey Ebert. Thank you all so very much. And thank you all very much while we're trying to raise funds for Brandy's GoFundMe campaign. I, I really appreciate it, and I'm sure she and Sam do as well. Well, you heard her say that they that they appreciate it more then I'm sure she could put into words. And so until next week, crucify medical insurance companies and the bullshit that they put patients through. Yes. Leave a review so we show up on people's uh, suggested lists and hopefully gain more Patreon members to support Brandy Hamrick. Mm. And rate the show five times a day toward a holler. <laughs> I still don't like listening to my own voice. Neither do we. I know. <laughs> <laughs>
That's just mean. I know. <laughs> I, uh, I told Sam for Halloween I wanted to be a semicolon. <laughs> uh, that would have wow. been fucking awesome. Not everybody in West Virginia fucks their cousins. <laughs> I'm, I'm from Charleston, West Virginia. We're one big happy family. Really. <laughs>